could shine between the lines if you would let yourself go find some place you know you can use your words use your hands you can change the world you just pretend express yourself take a chance and you'll see who you'll be it's time to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Literature has the power to change lives, minds, and hearts. Cameron Wright. Hello, and welcome back to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice. Right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. For today's show, Be The Star You Are, I want to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Ruhani, and today's show will be all about the power of literature. And in segment two, I will be interviewing the talented author, Melissa Larson, about her psychological thriller, Shudder. And in segment Three, I will be talking to Sharanya about her literature and segment and her segment, The Scribble. And right now I'll be reading some of my work and talking about it. So this one I actually wrote in November and I submitted it to a contest for the New York Times Learning Network. And I really didn't expect it to win at all. Um, I remember submitting it the night it was due at 1130, which was 29 minutes before the deadline. And I did not know what would happen. And it turns out I'm one of the eight winners, which is insane. And I am so grateful for the opportunity I was given to submit this piece. And there were over 11,000 entries. And the fact that I'm one of them and put on the New York Times website is such an honor. And It was very different for me to write because I usually write stories or poetry, but this, this is like a personal narrative and it is a true story. So here it goes. It's called TSA and cinnamon buns. You're going to have to take that thing off, sir. Yet another TSA officer had just arrived. I cast a nervous glance at my father, who was extremely calm, even as he explained for the third time that he couldn't unwrap the turban on his head. One, it would take too long to put back on. Secondly, it was against his faith. The sentence hung heavily in the cinnamon-scented air. I resisted the urge of running through the metal detectors, shoes on, and everything. 
Make no mistake, I didn't want to be embarrassed about my religion. In Sikhism, dignity is as fundamental as the turban. But when you're 12 years old, awkward, pimply, and painfully aware of the stares and mutterings from speedy holiday travelers, it's hard to muster that pride. It shouldn't have turned out like this. My father and I had embarked on an impromptu trip to surprise his relatives, and the events resembled a Charlie Brown Christmas special until we reached that dreaded corner of the airport. To distract myself, I concentrated on the sugary aroma coming from the diner in the terminal. We always ate there before our flights. I loved their cinnamon buns. I associated a peculiar sense of freedom with those baked goods. Their sweet taste meant we'd finished with security, freed of scrutiny. Having brown skin and a head covering means you're based, practically begging for a random TSA check. I figured that out around the same age that I learned how to put on an airplane seatbelt on my own. However, this demand was significantly worse. Still, I wanted him to comply, wanted to rid myself of the scathingness of being different. My father, who knew he would forever be considered different from the moment he walked into this country, persisted. He'd been to this airport, airport before, and they let him have his turban scanned instead of removing it. What could have changed? It's the holiday season, the palest officer said. Sorry, <laughs> rolling his eyes. Security is tighter. Just make a decision. Can't you see your little girls waiting too? If I was embarrassed before, it was nothing compared to now. With all eyes on me, I wanted to shrink to the ground. I'd always feared the possibility of such humiliating precautions imposed on my father, and I'd always thought I would speak up. Even a simple don't talk to him that way would suffice. Yet I looked up, turned to my father, and said, just take it off. And the way he sighed let me know that I had won. It was a rather haunting victory. Perhaps I'm being too harsh on my younger self. After all, I was severely insecure and surrounded by years' worth of schoolyard ignorance. So why does your dad wear that rag? Which morphed into my buried shame, and it took me a while to realize I had to dispel it. It took me even longer to learn how. In the years to come, I discovered the cathartic space of transcribing my feelings onto paper. At that moment, though, I simply internalized everything the embarrassment, the confusion, and most of all, the gnawing guilt. I watched impassively as my father removed his turban. Every layer of meaningful fabric peeled away in front of a whole crowd. The officers, circling him like angry piranhas, took one long look and then dismissed us. It was over. Or so I thought. My father, never one to hold a grudge, still bought me some cinnamon buns. I took them onto the flight and looked out the window at the bright blue American sky, wondering why they didn't taste as sweet as before. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as you could tell midway there, I had to take a pause because something choked up in my throat. Spit or tears, who knows? But yeah, that was a very, very personal piece. And I found this uh, contest, it came as an ad on my browser and I just decided to enter it and originally I thought I would write about something like a concert that I went to or something you know about my friends because they said to write one um, 
personal experience in your life that was very meaningful to you. And it took me a while to realize that I should do this one because I kind of buried it in my head. I didn't really want to confront it because, one, I felt ashamed that I kind of contributed to my father taking off his turban. And secondly, I thought, okay, this is way too personal, way too vulnerable. There's no way I should write this and then, you know, submit it for a contest. But sometimes when you're a writer, you have to think as the reader. And as the reader, as a reader, I would want to hear about this experience, especially if I could relate to the situation. And today, I definitely have changed from um, being 12 years old. I'm a lot more confident now, thankfully. And I still struggle with the same feelings sometimes, but I'm so grateful to have, you know, friends that are way, you know, kind of fuel my self-esteem instead of bringing me down as I had before. And I also, you know, I'm more proud of my heritage now, and I'm really grateful for that because I spent a long time trying to shy away from it, being ashamed of it when I really shouldn't have been. And the turban I know is a very, very personal thing to my father. And by writing it, it's also kind of an apology, but I don't think he was ever really mad at me. But still, I'm really grateful that I was vulnerable, really happy that the New York Times appreciated it. And it means a lot to me that it's published and I really can't believe it. It's so incredible. And I want to say to anyone else who is a writer or wants to you know, go for these contests, you should go for it because you never know what might win. And yeah, I really feel like a real writer now because, you know, I've, I mean, I have been published before technically when I was 10, I self-published a book. Um, it was a cute little novel I'd written and my parents thought it was nice. And I was like, okay, so why don't I publish it? And luckily I found a publisher that was interested. And yeah, when you're 10 years old, you are so excited to see it in print. And, you know, six years later, looking at it now, it's like, I'm just as excited. And I really feel like in the future, I'm going to continue writing and continuing to pursue this passion that I hope I've, I think I've inherited from my grandfather. Um, I've never met him. He passed away when my dad was 12, but he was a very big literary professor in Punjab, India. So yeah, I think I carry his blood in mine and I'm going to continue, you know, pasting and transcribing my feelings onto paper as I'd written um, in that piece. And it was so great talking about this experience. And I'm so grateful to have this platform where I can talk about it. And we're out of time for this segment. But during the break, check out our website, www.bethestarur.org. And I will be talking to Melissa Larson, a very fantastic author. So I'm so excited. And make sure, I mean, if you want to, um, read my piece again and look at the other winners. They were so fantastic. Um, Go to the New York Times Learning Network. Um, It should be on their front page. Uh, It says, our third annual personal narrative writing contest. So, yeah, thank you so much. And can't wait to talk to Melissa.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel you're listening to express yourself on the voice america kids channel where teens talk and the world listens express yourself is produced by star style productions llc as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity for more information about our show visit expressyourselfteenradio.com now back to our star teens Welcome back to Express Yourself. It's Suhani, and today I will be talking to Melissa Larson about her book, Shudder. And Melissa has an MFA from Columbia University and a Bachelor of Arts degree from NYU's Gallatin School of Individualized Study. She's interned and worked extensively in publishing, and Shudder is her debut novel. Here's a short description. A young woman agrees to star in a filmmaker's latest project, but soon realizes the movie is not what she expected in this chilling debut novel. And you can find more out at her website, www.melissa-larson.com, and follow her, follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Lissa Larson. Melissa, it is so nice to talk to you. This is amazing. I'm so happy to talk to you, Ruhani. I'm so glad. Um, thank you for reaching out to me. Of course. So excited yeah. to be here. For our viewers, uh, Melissa actually taught me in the summer for a Columbia class, and I learned so much from you. You were such an excellent teacher. Oh, I'm so happy to hear it, and you were just such an excellent student. I mean, I just recently heard that you got a New York Times uh, story <laughs> <laughs> accepted or uh, a reward, an award. Wow. Can't speak. Yeah. I cannot speak. I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. It's just so incredible. And it's thanks to people like you, such great support system. And I know you have incredible advice for young writers. So can you share <laughs> one right now? Uh, yes. So I, there's the usual write and read as much as you possibly can and as widely as you can. But I think for young writers, my advice is to find your writing community. This is what I've noticed um, teaching 
classes, like the one that you have taken, the most amazing thing happens when the students get to know each other's writing and then they get to talk to each other. And um, so many students have told me that no one, none of their friends wrote, so they never felt like they could be a writer or that their writing could be taken seriously. And to meet like-minded high schoolers really changed their relationship to writing. So find your writing community, whether that's in a class or online or um, at your library, just anywhere you can find it. Exactly. And that's exactly how I felt in the summer, too. I felt like I'd found this great community. I was getting awesome feedback from so many people, (laughs) especially you. And I think, you know, writing is so rewarding, but it can also be really challenging, too. So what do you think is the most challenging aspect? Oh, my gosh. Uh, (laughs) All of it. No, all of it is fantastic. Um, One of my favorite writing instructors, um, Alexandra Kleeman, who also happens to be a fantastic writer, uh, she said that for her, writing feels like an archaeological dig, that you're, for a lot of it, you're just moving dirt around in different piles, and then suddenly you start to uncover a skeleton. And that just really sticks with me. And I think the most challenging aspect of it is that day by day, the dirt will change. (laughs) And so sometimes you're like just sifting through sand and you're like, this is so easy. This is fantastic. And then the next day it's like excavating bedrock and it just is so tough. You get exhausted really quickly. I guess just the changing nature. I love that analogy and it's so true. Um, I So, but I think sometimes it helps, you know, when you write in one day and, but then you stop for like a week, but you know, absolutely. Yeah, everyone's writing process is different, but what is your writing process like? So I, most of it change. It's sorry, it changes from book to book is what I'm noticing with different characters, and I think that means that my process is really meeting the character and letting them talk to me for a long time. So mm-hmm. a lot of it in the beginning is just a lot of putting words on a page and getting to know the characters and then a lot of revising to actually make it into a book. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And it takes so much for just like one short story. I'm sure a book is so extensive and, but you know, Shudder is amazing. I remember reading it in the summer, my jaw literally (laughs) dropped. It was so chilling and it really got me into psychological thrillers. So where did the inspiration for Shudder come from? So I, um, speaking of revising, <laughs> I, in starting when you're young, I uh, started writing this book in my undergrad mm-hmm. um, at college at NYU, and it was kind of this exorcism of a very difficult relationship I was in, and I just needed to get out the feelings in a way that was manageable to myself, and then I kept working on this book for a long time and I suddenly realized oh my god this is just for me I don't think this is an actual book and then I just took what I liked from it and I decided okay I'm going to write the book that I really want to read instead right so it was very personal and then through so much revision it became something a lot more it became Betty's story as opposed to my story Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I feel that way too. You know, sometimes like you have to think like a reader in order to be a good writer. And definitely it's very clear that Shudder is, can be for like any demographic. Like I said, I've never really read psychological thrillers or even mysteries before. I'm more of a contemporary lit type of person, but um, Shudder was just so amazing. And what sort of research did you do for it actually? So the fun thing, um, the book was originally set where, so the um, characters go to a small private island off the coast of Maine to film. And it used to be that they went to a play, a small town in upstate New York. And I was looking for places where I could go to research a little bit. And then I ended up finding this writer's retreat in Maine. Um, it's on Norton Island. And it was just like looking at the photos. I was like, oh, my God, this is my book. I could go live in my book. And so I... Um, I applied, I got in, I spent two weeks uh, living in a tiny cabin on a private island off the coast of Maine. So I feel like I lived Betty's story a little bit. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I would want to go there. Um, I recommend it. (laughs) And what was your road to becoming a published author? Like, what was the publication process like for Shudder? It was so... Interesting. So I, um, I worked in publishing and I, and that was like a dream come true. I just, I love books. I love writing. I love talking about books. And then it, it just, it wasn't actually the dream for me. And I, I stopped my love of reading really changed. And the only way I could recover that was by writing. So I pursued my MFA and I knew my agent and, um, it just, I don't know, the book exploded out of me in my MFA program and I was able, we were able to sell it when I was still in class, but that meant that I needed to do a lot of revising before mm-hmm. it got published. So in the end, it took about two years of revising with my editor before it was published last year. Wow. And do you think that <laughs> the publishing industry has helped you become an author? Definitely. I think it helped me get to know people like it led me to my agent, which makes me so happy because she's just such a wonderful person. I met her on a coffee date. Uh Um, (laughs) So that was really wonderful. But I think it was also getting to know the um, industry and the expectations of it was really helpful for me where I was like, okay, this is how to be like a good author. This is how to not necessarily scream because, oh, the book cover isn't exactly what I wanted it to be. But right. my book cover was perfect, so it's fine. <laughs> a very nice book cover. And <laughs> I know you mentioned you started Shudder in, um, when you were at NYU, but when did you first discover your love for writing? Was it like a specific age? I know for me it was around like six years old because that was the only subject I was good at at school. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I know. I think I, it was so interesting because I fell in love with reading around that age where I was just a very obsessive reader. And it was actually in NYU when I <laughs> discovered my love of writing. I signed up for a class that I thought was about editing. Mm-hmm. I thought I was like, oh, perfect. This is going to be about publishing. And instead, uh, the professor said, you know, normally I don't let anyone into this class who hasn't 
written a full manuscript, but I'm just going to let you guys go through with 60 pages. And I was just the panic that overtook me. <laughs> I didn't even think about dropping the class. I was like, okay, I'm just going to write a book this semester. This is We're just going to see what's going to happen. And I ended up loving it, like falling wow. in love. Yeah, that means you're a true writer. I 60 pages is <laughs> insane. And <laughs> in high school, um, you know, I'm in high school now, and the books you're reading is, you know, the same classics. And yeah, most of them are great. I love The Great Gatsby, who doesn't? Mm. But what were some of your favorite reads in high school? And do you still love these books? Oh, my gosh. So, yes. Uh, I And it was interesting because for both of them, I hated initially. I We started reading Frankenstein, and I was just like, this is not like the movie at all. And then <laughs> suddenly it clicked. And I was like, this is actually the most dramatic, amazing, intense book I've ever read. I love it so much. And I still love it. I still, I should reread it. Actually, it's been like a year. And the other was A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. A beautiful book. So beautiful. And it really took me about halfway of that book to actually be like, oh my God, <laughs> I didn't know writing could do this. And it just really changed how I felt about writing. It really, um, it just, there's a sentence in that book that sits with me forever. I just love it. Yeah, it is a really, really great book. I read it last year for, um, ah! yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> and yeah, there's some books that you read at school that stick with you for a long time. And they really influence writing. So do you think there's any other similar type of books that maybe influence your writing or some other outside sources? Oh, I am obsessed with Stephen King. <laughs> I I just, I, anytime I'm a little bit stuck in my own writing, I just choose one of his books that I haven't read yet. And I'm like, okay, now it's the time. And no matter what, there's something about his style that's so I mean it's just so musical and so colloquial that I end up just thinking while I'm reading it why do I love this so much what do I love about it and then I end up finding my way back into the uh what I'm writing and a similar thing happens with Elena Ferrante I think most of my biggest influences come from other writers that just shock me with how great the writing is or how surprising the writing is and then the rest is just I mean most of the influence just comes from life as I'm sure you can attest yeah (laughs) definitely and um, I remember we did like an exercise involving Stephen King in our class in the summer don't remember exactly what it was but I do remember we had to like read an excerpt and then say something about it and I remember (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, this is a question that every author gets asked, but do you believe in writer's block? Because I definitely do. I feel like there are times where I just don't feel like writing, but do you ever get that for you too? Oh, absolutely. I really believe in writer's block. I think the people who say it doesn't exist, they're just fooling themselves. They're like trying not to say the word. It's like not saying Lord Voldemort or something, (laughs) but uh, I think it goes both ways where I think on the one hand 
there are very true fallow periods in writing where you've just reached the bottom of your creative well. You're out of water. You've got to let it um, refill. And so you've got to spend more time doing other things where you can't just constantly be producing. And then there's also sometimes we get afraid to write more. And so it's just about managing or understanding our own process. Like, am I really blocked? Am I really out of juice? Or am I just afraid of what I'm doing? Totally. And sometimes there are like specific parts in the book that are really hard to write. And do you personally think it's harder to write like the beginning, the middle or the end? I feel like for me, it's always the middle. The middle is very difficult because you suddenly realize like this feels kind of arbitrary. (laughs) I don't know if that's what you feel about it. But for me, it's like the beginning is so much fun to start. You're just like, oh, yes, here we go. Here are the characters. Here's their problems come with me and then you realize oh I'm the one driving the train or conducting the train this is very difficult and then um but I kind of love the middle for that reason too you can do whatever you want I think I struggle the most with endings I think I as you know I'm very hard I I'm not good at saying goodbye to anything Mm -hmm. so I think saying goodbye to characters is very difficult for me yeah it is and I I loved Betty. She was such a great protagonist. Anthony was a little off. <laughs> yeah, Anthony's a hard sell. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um, on a typical day, how much time do you spend writing? Like for Shudder, did you like write a bunch all at once and then took a br- take a break? Or did you like, you know, do maybe like an hour a day? For Shudder, when I was writing the first draft of it, I was spending hours every day. I, it wasn't that it was like a nine to five, but I, there were days where I was writing for maybe six hours a day. And that was because it was just, it was so much coming out. And I was just, I became like, um, one of those, you know, like a, (laughs) <laughs> where a cop is looking for like a serial killer and they've got all of those scary boards and y- strings of yarn connecting things. I was <laughs> kind of like that <laughs> about it. So I was just very obsessively trying to map it out. And then mm-hmm. as things went on, it would change day by day. But I, right now, as I'm working on a new book, I'm finding that it's only about two hours a day. Wow. Yeah. I think it really depends also on the type of book you're writing. The heavier stuff might take longer to write, or maybe it's just like your comfort level with the idea. Definitely. um, What's your outlining strategy like? Do you have it in your head first and immediately transfer on paper? Or do you think about it first and then you kind of write it down? I'm a big walker. I love going for walks and thinking about my book and thinking about writing. I think it's very good for all of us, especially in a pandemic. (laughs) There's not a lot you can be doing, but um, I think I need to write everything down really quickly. Like I'll, I'll think about it on my walk, but I'll be making notes to myself on my phone or I'll race home and write something down. I think the more you have written down, the better. Like I've talked to some writers who 
think about ideas for years at a time and they're like, yeah, it's just always in the back of my head. Like, oh, (laughs) I didn't know people did that. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes I like maybe might wake up in the middle of the night with ideas. Do you ever get that too? And do you like keep a notebook by your bed or something? Oh yeah. We should all be doing that. I think that's (laughs) such a good idea. (laughs) Even if it's like cereal shark that you've written, you've something will spark your mind. Yeah. And I think like Twilight, the author, she got it from a dream. So sometimes your dreams might be like also a very helpful tool. Definitely. um, So what other genres do you plan on writing? I know you mentioned a new book. Is it going to be maybe a continuation of Shudder or is it going to be something totally new and going to blow us all away? (laughs) Oh, I hope it blows you all away. Um, (laughs) Right now, I think it's, I really do love a thriller, and so this book feels very thriller-y to me, mm-hmm. but I have also thought about literary fiction, and I've also thought about romance. i thought about all of them, but I think um, thriller is where I get most excited when I'm writing. It's like, oh, how can I scare myself? And so I think that's, that's really where I'm at right now but you might see a romance novel from me in the future. Wow, I cannot wait. (laughs) That would be so much fun to read. I love romance. Um, Oh, me too. Yeah, and I think these days there's so many creative ways to market books. Like I've seen so many on TikTok. So what do you think is like the best way to market your books like right now? Shudder or any book? Shudder or any book. Ooh, so I've seen so many incredible TikToks. I'm afraid of TikTok because I I have looked at the reels on Instagram and I'll just lose like two hours and it's like, oh my God, I'm a different person now. Um, I think I love, wow, this is, that's very hard for me to answer actually because I love those um, TikToks where it's like, discussing or the person is crying about uh, Song of Achilles. Oh, <laughs> I've seen a lot of those. <laughs> I think um, my favorite thing that I've seen is someone did a TikTok of Shudder where they were pretending to be Betty and they were like, so this guy invited me up to his cabin on a small island off the coast of Maine and he said I'm perfect to star in his movie and he's even going to pay me money isn't this a great <laughs> idea and I was like yes perfect <laughs> those are so clever I love seeing this type of TikToks on my for you page and have you ever done like virtual books or book events or readings and have you ever like gone to a bookstore and just like relish and seeing your name in print or like signing them <laughs> off for fans <laughs> Yes. So um, my book tour when the book came out in June was all virtual. So I did a couple of Q&As and readings for different indie bookstores um, across the country, which was really exciting. Um, Slightly different because you're like enjoying the um, celebration. You're like, oh, my God. And you're talking to all these people. And then you end the event and you're just sitting alone in your room. Slightly different. (laughs) But I have 
gone to bookstores um, and seen my book and signed my book. I even did a signing at my local Barnes and Noble, which was pretty amazing. It was slightly, it was funny because I talked to a lot of fantastic readers that became friends and people who actually were really excited to read my book. And then some people would just kind of wander up and be like, did you write this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I bet they're starstruck. <laughs> That's the kindest way to think of it. <laughs> yeah, and I think the best thing about writers is that they feel very strong emotions. And do you think someone could be a writer if they don't have those kind of strong emotional reactions? Oh, my God. I They probably could, but I... I can't imagine loving the book as much as reading someone else's writing who you can feel them just really experiencing every second of the story and like wanting to tell you something. Yeah, exactly. And I remember the, like the type of writing I had most difficulty with um, kind of getting better at it is like description, like describing mm. like colors and other sensory descriptions. And is there anything you have particular, uh, particular like trouble with? Ooh, description is tough because you want to really encapsulate a feeling in a place, but you don't want to spend so much time. I met some I met a student once who told me that they literally skip any paragraph that looks like it's description. And that just has, that traumatized me. I was just like, what? What if there's important information in there? (laughs) They're like, I'll be fine. So that that really freaked me out. Um, So I try to make my description as interesting as possible just for myself and for the reader. I do tend to, I love dialogue. Yeah. And I I think I struggle right now with my new book is I'm writing so much dialogue that I'm like I I think I need to pare this back. I think it's figuring out what feels natural. Yeah, dialogue is tricky too and I think it's just a lot of practice too. Everything takes practice and writing is one of those things and <laughs> it's a constant practice. Yeah, and Um, Are there any, like, authors you're friends with, and do they help you become a better writer in any way? Absolutely. Um, Some of my closest friends are authors. Um, Mina Hamedi is, like, my best friend that I met um, at that NYU class, actually. Um, And she just, she's a nonfiction writer, and she's just an incredible writer. And so she really inspires me, and I'm so happy to be able to talk to her about all of the struggles of writing. And then um, once my book came out, I joined a writer's um, community or a chat on Discord. I had never heard of it until then um, with other writers from my publisher. And they're just amazing people. They are so inspirational. One of them, I'm so excited. I'm bragging about this right now. (laughs) One of them is Ali Hazelwood who came out with a love hypothesis last year. Oh my gosh, I just read that book. <laughs> <laughs> so this is why I'm bragging, because I, because of this writer's community, I just got her new book to read, so I'm doing that tomorrow. No one talk to me tomorrow. 
that is incredible. Oh my gosh, I love that book. I just read it like the other week when I was on winter break. I thought it was so this cute. Makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, and um, if you could tell your younger self, like back when you're at NYU or any any stage of your life, um, your younger writing self, anything, what would it be? Not to be afraid. I think I spent a lot of time, especially as a young writer, being afraid of my own writing self and showing my writing to anyone else. I think I was really terrified of being considered a bad writer. And so I avoided taking classes that I thought I would have to share more of my like rough writing with and that's just such a waste (laughs) yeah now it's just um that's why in our classes I was just really emphasizing just it's so powerful to be vulnerable like it's so hard but in a writing class that will only make you a better writer and every aspect of being a writer is being very very vulnerable so you might as well get used to it quickly (laughs) yeah and it's hard putting yourself out there but I think if you do it through art it's actually easier than just maybe saying it out loud that's how I feel definitely yeah and so I know we were talking about reading before and do you believe that the more you read like the better writer you become absolutely I think there might come a point when you're writing when you don't want to read something else that's happened to me a few times where it's I get like angry at the book I'm reading because I'm like, this isn't the book I want to read. The book I want to read is the one I'm writing. (laughs) So you just have to let it go. And I think books find you, but I think you have to, I think you definitely have to read to become a writer. Definitely. Yeah. And sometimes I'll get guilty of that too. I just won't want to focus on other people's work when there's your own, but Yeah. yeah. You can learn from everyone. And what's like the best and the worst writing advice you've ever received? Oh, my gosh. So the best writing advice is something that I've already alluded to so many times in this conversation <laughs> because it, it it has bled into every aspect of my own writing, which mm-hmm. is really write the book that you want to read and write the book that scares you. Like every time I start to think, oh my God, I can't pull this off. I can't do this. That's when the best writing happens. And then the worst advice, I have to amend this because it used to be, you know, you have to write 500 words a day or a thousand words a day. And (laughs) I, you just made that sound. So I know you hate that too. (laughs) I used to hate that because it's also just like, oh, that's so arbitrary. But, and it's so much pressure when it's already so pressured. But for the past two months, telling myself you have to write a thousand words every day has been really helpful. (laughs) I want to be that motivated. (laughs) (laughs) It's, ah. God, it's mostly just forcing yourself, I think. (laughs) It really is. But you're such a fantastic writer, and it was so nice talking to you, Melissa. Like, we need to do this again sometime. We really do. I'm so happy to talk to you, Ronnie. I'm so um, honored to be on the show and to hear your voice and hear that you're still writing. It makes me (laughs) so 
unbelievable. You should see my face. I'm just, I'm glowing <laughs> with happiness. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being out of the show uh, on the show today. And unfortunately, we're out of time for this segment, but make sure you check out Shudder. And again, visit Melissa's website, www.melissa-larson.com and follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Lissa Larson. Thank you. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel you're listening to express yourself on the voice america kids channel where teens talk and the world listens express yourself is produced by star style productions llc as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity for more information about our show visit expressyourselfteenradio.com now back to our star teens Hi, everyone. I'm back, and it's Ruhani. Today, our reporter, Sharanya, will be giving some awesome advice on writing. Hey, Sharanya. Hello. Um, um, As you know, my name is Sharanya, and welcome back to The Scribble. Here, we will be looking for the beauty of writing at every nook and corner in the world. Today's theme, Power of Literature, has made my brain run with excitement. Literature is a key part of my life. To me, Literature is just like a time machine, which can take us back to the eras which we have never explored. For example, if we go way back to the start of literature, to the ancient civilization of Mesopotamia, we can feel the power of kings on normal civilians. If we then jump to the time of the bubonic plague in Europe, we're met with the dark haze over the once cheerful and victorious words. Through time, there might be changes in the topography, politics, and even more variables. But one practice stays constant. Literature. Literature is one of the key ways we can analyze a time frame, and it's always a good escape. The different characters, the different settings, even the different tones, they're all powerful and remind us of the past. In our mind the definition of literature is Shakespearean writing and Yeats. 
But there is much more to literature than that. It's not as intimidating as many people make it out to be. Honestly, it is one of the most simplest practices ever. Today, I'll be showing you how to dissect a piece of literature. Let's start off with the four basic segments of literature. We have the character, plot, setting, and my absolute favorite, theme. To make the sense of reading literature a little less menacing, I'm going to start off with something we can all pick up on, the character. Usually now, the character has a personality, which quote-unquote makes sense in the book. To analyze a character properly, always make sure to pick up on both the prominent and subtle clues. Together combined, you can understand the motive and personality of the character. Now to the plot we go. The plot is the main reason we read books. The plot is the backbone of the story, and it is key to identify the plot while reading. What us readers often encounter while reading are prose and the plot. This makes it quite confusing sometimes to separate the two and understand the message of the book. But don't worry, there's a trick. Think about the character. Which details seem significant to the character? And which ones seem more like an embellishment? When we can make this differentiation, that is when we can understand the plot of the book. Two parts done. Two to go. Setting is one of those forgotten heroes. Most readers can't understand the very strength of setting in a book. Without it, we as readers cannot envision the book in our mind, and this is absolutely irking sometimes. Imagine not being able to understand what you're reading. Just imagine. So, to appreciate the setting and use it in our comprehension of the book, here's a little tip. When you start to read, establish the time and place where the story takes place. Now, using the plot, sew all three pieces together, and you can see a clearly painted picture together. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about the Hunger Games. District 12 is portrayed as it is after today's age, and that it's very forested and workers are filling the streets. Now, with the setting, if we use the pain of the characters and the plot, we can realize the exact reason of why there's a need to run away, which is emphasized in the book. Through setting, we can understand the story a tad bit better. And now, for the last part, and to me, the most interesting section. Theme! Theme is the author's message. To us readers, although we read a story for the plot, the theme feels like you get a sense of what the author's mind works like. And that always fascinates me. With the medley of a character, plot, and setting, there's a vibe emitted from the book which captivates you. And that is where you can find the theme. We all translate the theme differently because themes are usually based on one thing other than the author's writing, how we relate to the story. So, here are the four steps to analyze writing. And these make that once intimidating task super easy. Thank you.
Wow, Sharanya, I love that. And I would really use those steps for my next work. And yeah, for you specifically, were there any like pieces of intimidating literature you faced? Yes, definitely. One of these pieces was The Vision of Judgment, written by Lord Byron. This poem was filled with so many details that it was hard to understand what was happening. So, by taking the four steps where I identified the character, plot, setting, and theme, I got the final message of the poem. This was one of the most recent challenges I had. Wow, I've never read that book, but I would surely read it. And do you think you can use these steps everywhere? Sure, you can use these steps in every fictional genre. I need to put an emphasis on fictional because nonfiction has different procedures to follow. Wow, so what is the nonfiction procedure? Well, we'd start off with finishing the book, of course, and then we would try to get a hold of where the author stands on the said topic. This is usually clearly stated in the book, and as we go back, we suddenly spot hints of bias, which is un- in, which is like inevitable. Um, mm. As a non-fiction reader, you want to eliminate bias and work with the proper facts, which aren't swayed by the opinion of the author. Now, as you can discard, I wouldn't say useless, because they actually provide perspective. I would say the confuser elements you'd get a better hang of the entire book. I see. And do you prefer writing fiction or nonfiction? I obviously prefer fiction because you have that wide spectrum you can work with. Mm -hmm. You don't have just these facts to go by. Have you ever tried maybe like creative nonfiction, like telling maybe a personal narrative at school? At school... I've only been exposed to informational writing, which mm-hmm. is kind of like nonfiction. We haven't gotten really deep into creative nonfiction yet, but I'd sure like to try that sometime soon. Yeah, I I love um, creative nonfiction. I also really love fiction as well. Do you like poems or poetry? Yes, that's absolutely my favorite genre to write. Wow, wow that's incredible. And Um, What is your advice to maybe aspiring poets? Because I think poems are a bit different from, you know, writing a story. They definitely are. I think for poetry, you need to find the central topic that you're going with. And soon everything comes to your mind. For example, it's just like this. You just need a character that you want the story to be told through. It could be from a third person's perspective. A self-perspective it could be from many perspectives or it could just be about natural elements you you have that wider spectrum than you have with fiction because it doesn't always have to make sense i see and that is so enlightening thank you sharanya and i cannot read uh, wait to read one of your poems and thank you so much for coming on today unfortunately we are out of time for today's show as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Andrew. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. And thank you for listening to Express Yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. 
Never forget your your words hold lots of power. Right on. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself